Congress is getting close to approving an infrastructure bill that would be the largest federal investment in public transit ever. And a big chunk of that money is earmarked for Amtrak, which operates America's passenger rail system. The person who will oversee that money is Bill Flynn. He took over as the CEO of Amtrak last year. And he and his family love trains. Both my dad and my uncles were locomotive engineers, and two of my brothers have also worked on Amtrak. I can remember back to 1971, I was in in high school, and my dad and uncle were talking about this new company, Amtrak, being formed. So I have deep memories, and I grew up in Connecticut, so I grew up riding the train to and from New York and to and from Boston, and there's a deep family connection there. And beyond that, I, I just believe in Amtrak's mission. I believe in the services we provide, and And I'm excited about the the growth opportunities the company has. But for Amtrak to grow, it needs to repair its outdated networks, add new routes, and make train travel faster. And Bill says the money in the infrastructure bill could be just the ticket. If it becomes law, it will represent the largest infusion of cash in Amtrak in our first 50 years of, of being in business. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. It's Thursday, August 26th. Coming up on the show, Amtrak's CEO on how he plans to upgrade America's passenger rail. This episode is brought to you by Global X ETFs. Looking to invest? Start your journey by exploring exchange-traded funds with Global X ETFs. Exchange-traded funds, or ETFs for short, create baskets of stocks, bonds, and other assets that you can buy in a single trade. Global X specializes in ETFs that track emerging trends, like the rise of artificial intelligence, as well as strategies aimed to generate income potential. Visit GlobalXETFs.com to discover how you can get started. The infrastructure bill currently stands at about $3.5 trillion, and Amtrak is supposed to get about $66 billion of that. Why does Amtrak deserve all this money? Well, we're the National Railroad. We provide a very good service, and we've been doing that for 50 years. We've demonstrated that our service is valued. We've been able to grow our customer base. And I'll I'll just give you an example of of how I infer the value uh, here. If you look at the service between Washington and New York and look at Amtrak riders compared to passengers on on the shuttles between uh, Washington and New York, and you add those up as a single market, Amtrak has an 84% share of that market. So to me, that's demonstration of value. And it's not just the Northeast Corridor. In California, where we operate services on behalf of the state of California and also long-distance services, we have over 8 million riders a year, and that's our second-largest corridor. But Amtrak right now isn't necessarily a very common way that Americans get around. I mean, it's driving and it's flying, and a lot of the routes that Amtrak has are between rural parts of the country or there are long-haul networks, or even if you want to go between some big cities, like I was just looking... Last night, if I wanted to go between Chicago and Cleveland, let's say, which does seem like a route where I might want to choose the train over driving, it takes longer to take the train than it does to drive. And there's very limited options about when I can depart. 
Well, that's exactly the point. And I agree with you. It's got to be convenient. It's got to run at a time of day when people are going to want to use it. And it's got to be reasonably trip time competitive to the alternatives, taking a bus, driving it yourself. So those are all the elements. If those elements aren't there, uh, it's not a service that is going to be attractive to many riders. So let's talk now about what could happen if you do get the money that Congress is talking about. What are you going to prioritize between fixing things that need fixing and investing in new infrastructure? Well, frankly, some of that will come directed, right? So of the money that's in this bill, about $30 billion will be for the Northeast Corridor. Those are the lines between Washington, D.C. and Boston. Very densely operated. There are over 2,200 trains a day somewhere on that track infrastructure during uh, pre-COVID times and I'll say post-COVID times as well. Critical parts of the infrastructure are very, very old and need to be replaced. Like what? There's a tunnel in the city of Baltimore, the Baltimore and Potomac Tunnel. It went into service in 1873. President Grant was president. Uh, Edison hadn't yet invented the light bulb. And that's the tunnel that's still in service. I mean, it was great construction when it was done, but it's time to be replaced. And so a large percentage of the funding, about $30 billion of the $66 billion that's in the uh, infrastructure bill, would go to desperately needed infrastructure work on the Northeast Corridor. So half the money will go toward fixing things and doing maintenance. And the other $36 billion? We have limited service in the South, limited service in the West. When we were founded in 71, population of the country was 207 million people. Today, 338, pick a number. The majority of that 130 million growth occurred in the South and the West, where we have limited, in some cases, no service at all. The money will be used also to expand so that we can provide reliable, frequent, trip-time competitive service between the key cities. So recently, we, we were working with various uh, mayors and, and other um, officials in the state of Arizona, for example. There's no passenger rail service between Phoenix and Tucson. By way of example, this is our the growth strategy, that, that just one example. Our estimate is that we could deliver three round trips a day in that route, trip time competitive with driving it. In a year or two years, am I going to start to see high-speed rail between metropolitan areas in the U.S.? It'll take more than a couple of years, but yes, you'll see high... First of all, you'll see you'll see what, what I call conventional speed rail, 110, 120 mile an hour. Uh, and, and in some corridors, we can get to higher speeds of 180 miles or greater. We just signed an agreement with Siemens with their California-based rail operation. Uh, we've ordered 83 new train sets, which will begin to deliver in 2025 through 2029. That will really remove most of the trains that you see today, reducing the time between these points of origin and destination stations. For current Amtrak riders, what are the biggest changes that they're going to experience after this infusion of cash? Well, you're going to see over the next uh, number of years, you're going to see new equipment modern equipment, which would provide a, a better experience and provide for more capacity. And then over a period of time, outside of the Northeast Corridor, you will see more intercity, competitive, attractive intercity rail service that, that you're going to want to use at a reasonable price that is trip time competitive. Higher speeds on the corridor produce the ability to run more trains than we currently run, which create the capacity for more riders. How many more riders do you think there are 
who are willing to take Amtrak? How big of a demand do you think there is out there for the new services that you're looking to provide? We think that over the next 15 years, we on an annualized basis could add another 20 million riders, so 32 to 52 million riders. I would say at the end of 20 years with the robust investment we're describing, we could probably, um, I imagine we'd be closer to 60, 62 million riders, something near doubling, uh, which would be significant. It's very significant. Where do you think these riders are going to come from? They're going to be younger riders, and they're going to be in different parts of the country than we serve today. We'll have more riders on the Northeast Corridor. 20% of the U.S. population lives on that corridor, but we'll have more riders in other parts, in California, for example, in the 20 or so major metropolitan areas where we have virtually none or no passenger service today. Phoenix, fifth largest city in the country. We don't offer passenger rail. What, what makes you think that younger riders are going to be drawn to Amtrak? It has to be a good service, right? It's got to be on time. It's got to be a, a good service. The equipment needs to be a reasonable, attractive service. It has to have Wi-Fi and other attributes of the travel that might make it better. But you can get on a train and go from point A to point B, use your Wi-Fi. You can go in a relaxed way and you will absolutely minimize your impact on the environment. And for sure, that's the consistent feedback we get from our younger riders, that they are conscious of the environmental impact and of their own footprint. An Amtrak train on a per-passenger-mile basis, let's say Washington to New York, emits 83% less greenhouse gas than driving, 73% less than flying. Younger riders are also more cost-conscious, probably, than older people. I mean, the Acela going from New York to D.C. can be a couple hundred dollars, depending on when you're going. Is Amtrak going to be affordable enough? Yes, Amtrak will be. Um, the Acela is higher speed, but our NEC, our Northeast Regional, uh, you know, their tickets are in the $30 to $35 range, and that's 15 minutes, 18 minutes longer. It's a different train, and we're replacing all of those. Those will be all brand new equipment um, you know, by 28 or 29. The price point has to be right, right for the rider and, and, and right for Amtrak, and I think that price point exists. How much pressure are you under to, to spend all this money in the right way. It's a lot of money. As you said, it's more money than Amtrak has gotten from the government throughout its entire history. Right. Well, we we have to absolutely be good stewards of the public monies, the investment that's being made in the company. Absolutely. After the break, how Amtrak thinks of its financial responsibility. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash journal. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Global X ETFs. Buzz around artificial intelligence is seemingly everywhere. Is your portfolio keeping up? Consider the Global X Artificial Intelligence and Technology ETF, ticker AIQ, which invests in dozens of stocks at the leading edge of this disruption. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Technology companies can be affected by rapid product obsolescence and intense industry competition. Before investing carefully, consider the fund's objectives, risks, charges, expenses, and more in the full or summary prospectus at GlobalXETFs.com. Read carefully. Distributed by SEI Investments Distribution Company.
Amtrak has historically not been profitable. So is that something that you think is part of Amtrak's responsibility is to be profitable or at least break even? So Amtrak is chartered to run on a for-profit basis, but at the same time provide the essential services the country needs. I want to break that down a little. It's not Amtrak is chartered to run at and achieve profit on a gap basis. In fact, there's no railroad system in the world that does. Railroad passenger systems around the world are considered to be essential in the economy, provide utility, and that the utility that the rail passenger services provides has a larger impact more broadly in the economy. So the long-distance services do not generate operating income. The Washington to Boston corridor does. And our state services run generally at a break-even. But there is strong support from our owners, the U.S. government, and shareholders, Congress, to continue to operate the long-distance services because of the, of the belief and the expectation of the larger economic value those services create. Even though a business looking at its balance sheet would see the long-haul lines and say, these aren't profitable, we should cut back on these, you feel like it's something that's... that. Because you report to Congress. It's not just because we report to, to Congress, Ryan. It's that transportation creates a utility. We also shoulder a much larger burden of the costs than other modes do. For example, we own the station, we own the tracks, and have to maintain them. Airlines don't own the airport. They don't own the runways. They only pay for a percentage use. But in order to provide our service, we have the full infrastructure burden. And, and so it's, it is a philosophical discussion. Does the transportation service that Amtrak provides have enough value creation and enough value creation impact that it's it's worth to continue to invest in. And Congress, on a bipartisan basis, has said yes. And successive administrations have supported it as well. What would you say to taxpayers who might see $66 billion going to Amtrak and think that doesn't seem like a good use of taxpayer dollars? Well, people do say that, right? Uh, there, there are there are certainly voices that suggest that uh, we don't need inner city passenger rail. And I, I, I would say if one steps back and looks at the total impact that Amtrak does and can provide, it, it's a good investment. We're talking about infrastructure investment that's you know fifty year kind of investments. Money we're we're getting today that's going to play out over over 10 years, right? And so I believe we can demonstrate the value and utility that this investment will create. Do you think that Amtrak runs as efficiently as it could, or are there areas where you need to cut costs and increase efficiencies? Oh, I think every company can be more efficient. I don't believe that Amtrak is wasteful or or spendthrift or has sloppy operations. I, I don't believe that at all. But can we continue to improve? Sure. The operations are designed to provide the best utility at the lowest cost. So when you're not running on time, by definition, you're running at higher costs because you're trying to catch up. What about customer satisfaction scores? What, the, what are your customers telling you about? What's the condition of the train, the stations, the, you know, all of the other elements that go into the experience of taking a train? So your vision of Amtrak as its new leader is that you want to just do what Amtrak does, but better. You don't think it needs a kind of a, a revolution or an overhaul on how it operates. No, it does need a revolution. Part of the revolution, Ryan, is that infrastructure we've just talked about. And then the other element of revolution is running a high-speed train service. And then the third part of evolution or revolution is expanding Amtrak service 
the communities we don't really service today. Our route network looks very much the way it did in 1971 when Amtrak was created. So we're very excited about the potential for the infrastructure bill becoming law. It's the economic impact, it's the environmental impact, and I think it reflects the changing nature of how people want to travel. That's all for today, Thursday, August 26th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and the Wall Street Journal. Special thanks to Ted Mann for his help on today's episode. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.